who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinefix Top 100, the endless secret government warehouse where we keep 100 of the greatest movies of all time. I'm Clint Gage, and joining me as usual, the woman that drank us all under the table that one time in Nepal, Alex Stedman. Alex, how you doing? I'm good. I'd be curious to see if I could actually do that. We'll try it one day. We, we, we got to try it one of these days. Next time we're in yeah. Nepal. Um, yep. And, of course, one of Cinefix's top men, Michael Calibro. How you doing, Michael? Good, dude. How you doing? Weird aside calling from me calling accidentally. Me yeah, yeah, aside from me calling accidentally me calling you Michael, yeah, I think we're doing all right. <laughs> How's Cal doing? Cal, you doing okay? I'm doing all right. I'm doing better Good. now. Good. <laughs> well, very excited today to be digging into uh, to this movie that I personally it's it's an all timer. Certainly, it's one of my favorite movies uh, that launched one pretty all right sequel, another sequel that's incredible, and two others that we frankly don't need to talk about. Uh, but today, we're going to be talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, the very first Indiana Jones adventure. Um, on a scale of, of one to excited, how excited are you guys to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark? I wouldn't say that I'm excited to talk about Raiders. It's it's I have a lot of opinions and very recent opinions because I recently binged all the Indiana Jones movies. So I have a lot of sure. thoughts on the indie franchise at large, uh, yeah. but I didn't really grow up with indie much. And I think there's this weird phenomenon that we kind of see sometimes where if you grow up with the imitations rather than the classics, you kind of have an affection for the imitations. Like I feel like the mummy was my Indiana Jones, not saying it's a better movie. I objectively don't think it is, but like I grew up with the mummy, you know, but still let's talk about good movie. I but thought that you were going to say Benjamin your, Gates there yeah, for a second. <laughs> the the uh, desert adventure part of your 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 film appreciation was taken up by the mummy. Yeah, it was. It that was the sleepover movie. Listen, Brendan Fraser, come on. Harrison Ford's also <laughs> great, but 
Come on. Yeah, I, it's it's strange to, to go like, I mean, listen, Brendan Fraser, come on. When Harrison Ford is the other option. I know. <laughs> I heard myself <laughs> and then I caught myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so listen, I mean, just the, the basics, the nuts and bolts of this movie. 1981, directed by Steven Spielberg, obviously. A screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan, produced by George Lucas, which this makes it like a murderer's row of new Hollywood dudes uh, all working together on one movie. Like if, if Brian De Palma had been the second unit director, I guess it would have been, would have been more so, but, um, but this, again, this, it, it, it was, it was Indiana Jones is the birth of Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, so to just dive straight into the pedigree of it. I mean, it, it, it was, it was great at the time, made a ton of money that year, nine Academy Award nominations, um, got nominated for, let's see, best, best picture, director, cinematography, original score. Those were all nominations. And it didn't win for score. No, that was my question. What? John Williams. Uh, you know, I don't know who somebody look up who actually won that year while I rattle off the rest of these, the five wins that it did get and deservedly. So I think with trophies for, uh, art direction, film editing, sound, sound editing, and of course, visual effects, but which not wins, score, but not score. Somebody else, somebody else wants score and it better be a great, great. I'm, I'm finding this because piece I'm, of music. like score is, I don't want to get too he- far ahead of ourselves. I think the score is my favorite part of it. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, maybe at this point, I'm looking, after, I'm looking it up. At, I'm, I'm looking it up at right this point, now. John Williams had a couple of iconic scores under his belt, like between Star Wars and Superman and um, like. It, it does it, have, it does have a, do you know what it lost to? Was it another no. John Williams score? It was not another John Williams score, but it is an equally iconic score. Like What's I that? can't believe I can't believe that there's actually like it lost to something that like you could debate what one is better, but this one is definitely in the fight, which is Chariots of Fire. Oh my God! Okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would pick. I fair. would pick Raiders. I would pick Raiders, but Chariots of Fire is a legit iconic score as well. So at least at no, least you're... it won. At least it won a loss to an icon. It lost to something that we can that we can still make jokes about. Yeah. Like, well, I feel like there's a lot of that too. I feel like there's a lot where like John Williams does not have as many Oscars as you would think he does, and I feel like well, he just always, yeah, he always just kind of loses to another great score. I mean, that's the thing about John Williams is like every every time out, he's gonna do something great, and so it's like there's that that idea of it's it's sort of his by default, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> unless somebody else jumps up to take it from him. Um, but like at this point, Indiana Jones was his his third, more or less consecutive, like super iconic between Superman, Star Wars and, and, and Indiana Jones. What about Jaws? Like, and well, Jaws is in there, too. Super. I mean, of course, like, okay, like he is I, just rattling off all time bangers. And so by this point, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we know you're good, John. We're going to give it to somebody else. I did look it up and he has won five, which is, I mean, most more Oscars than most people. So I feel a little yeah, less that's, indignant that's about lot. it. It's a, it's a lot. It's a few Oscars. I mean, five as compared to the, yeah. to the, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they were handing out rings, he'd be, he'd be moving on to the other hand at this point. Um, but anyway, it didn't win score, but it did. One of the, one of the things that I, I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot later is the visual effects um, which, which it won, uh, went to, uh, one of the guys involved, Richard Edland, one of the founding members of ILM. So it's like these, these early day ILM guys are all bringing home hardware at this point. Um, but, uh, Joe Johnston involved in that as well. He got, he got the Academy Award that year too, because he was on Don't the forget, effects team. 
don't forget about our boy Chris Wallace, who uh, Chris. you know made the uh, the fly happen. You know, we talked. Yep. And- yep. He wasn't on the visual effects team. He didn't get his. He didn't get a trophy. He's for this. Make, he's makeup though, right? Like, but he's yeah. yeah 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 yeah. So he's he's on the I guess special effects department. I don't know who who knows, but um, uh, so anyway, I mean, this is this is another movie that there's like there's this crew. In, in this time period that like the ILM guys, the Star Wars moving on and they'll, they'll do Poltergeist the year after this, where they, there's a lot of similarities in the work that they're doing uh, between Raiders and Poltergeist, especially like the ghosty stuff that happens at the end. But we'll, we'll get to all that later. Um, but it's a really cool time for for effects, for practical effects and visual effects sort of hanging out together. Um, but then there, there's there a Steven a Spielberg at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a super fun era of filmmaking, I think, because there's there's a lot of people that are like going from project to project, whole teams of artists that are just kind of bouncing from one thing to the next. And then one guy goes and splinters off and starts his own company and then starts his own team. And those guys bounce from one project to the other. And there's like a lot of really talented people doing a lot of really cool work, uh, you know, right here before CGI takes over kind of in the early to mid 90s, you know, so. It's a it's a rad time for for artists. I feel like I, th- I agree with you. I think that this is like this is where like you know uh, like commercial cinema as we know it today was. It's probably most artistic. Yeah, and, and the other thing too, like this, we might be getting ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about this more later. But I feel like so many of these guys are artists of uh, you know that that aren't necessarily film first artists. Like they just happen to be working on movies, but they're they're craftsmen of, of different trades that are being applied to movies in really ingenious ways, which I don't think we see as much of anymore. And I don't it, I could be wrong about that, but it, there's something there's something really nice and kind of old timey, frankly, about that, uh, which is why I love this. I love the early 80s. From, you know, a filmmaking perspective, I imagine the early 80s had other problems, but I was too young. Um, <laughs> So the other fun thing about this is is Steven Spielberg, because it's so easy to kind of like, yeah, he's never he's always been in charge of everything. But like if there was one vulnerable spot in his career, it was right in front of this movie, because like Jaws was a huge hit. Close Encounters was a hit, but they both ran long and they both came in over budget. And then 1941 ran long and came over budget and was a flop. And so all of a sudden, like he was, there was a little less patience for him, I think. And so like his whole, his whole goal with making Raiders, I saw, I heard some, found some quotes from him, like on set, you know, since some behind the scenes stuff is like, he's, his whole goal with this movie was to bring a successful movie in on time and on budget. Like that was that was item number one on the agenda for Spielberg, because like if there was a moment where he was going to have a little less sway, it was right here. Like he needed this to he needed this to be on time, on budget and a success. And he was like shooting from the hip. There's the quotes that I found was it was things like, you know, him telling George Lucas, like, we're not doing 20 takes of anything and we're not going to do like 16 feet of dolly track for this one shot because we're just not going to do it and then like i'm not going to stop down between and get the little piece of hair out of her face and like we just got to go and he did yeah and there's a handful of other when we get to some other brilliant moments i think there's a handful of other spots where you can kind of see that that happening which i think you know it's it's that sort of 
kind of mother of invention sort of thing happening with like they they came up with some really really sharp fixes for for that mentality and i think too like i i remember seeing that spielberg actually wanted to make a bond movie before he did indiana and then Lucas is the one who was like, no, do this. I, I wonder if that's almost him trying to not take as many risks because exactly to what you were saying, he was in a really kind of sensitive place. Um, but one of the things that I really like about Raiders is that you kind of see the lessons that he learned on Jaws. Like one of the big things with Jaws was him learning to not show the shark too early. And I feel like you see kind of that invention, that creativity a lot on Raiders. He also prepped a lot, right? Like I like I was watching like the behind the scenes stuff and it's just like every single shot is storyboarded and it's just yeah. like, you know, like he's talking to like Lucas a lot and they're like, yeah, Lucas is just like, yeah, he preps a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that was that was part of the yeah. thing. Like yeah. previs was a huge yeah. part of his his like, I got to get this shot. I got to get this in the can on time. And it's, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to go over budget. And that was a previs was a huge part of that. And then, you know, between that and then like not doing ex, an excessive amount of takes and, and, you know, like they did. So there is for as as cool as the visual effects are and as award winning as they are, there's not a ton of them, you know, like no, they, I was thinking the same thing. It's mostly stunts and like the stunt yeah. stuff yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the fascinating thing, too, about this movie is like Spielberg was kind of shooting from the hip a little bit and he made just an all timer like he's like, yeah, I'm going to make a make make one cheap and on time. And it turns into a goddamn masterpiece, which is impressive. Well, there's um, so many good little decisions that are in this movie. Like and I, I the more I think about it, the more I do like it. It's just so many like things that Harrison does in particular that mm -hmm. Spielberg kind of lets him do um, so much of the stunt work. Like you said, it's just like so many little things that yeah. all just, yeah, 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 it's great. Well, and, and just like the, the idea of surrounding yourself with talented people and saying like, I don't know, fix it, which is, you know, for we've, we've talked, we did a whole art of the scene on the wrath of God sequence at the end. Cal, you, you did that last year. And like, just, there's a sense of, of just like, he just handing a pile of ideas to you know joe johnston and he's like can i do whatever i want he's like yep, yep. <laughs> that, that's yeah. pretty much it that was that was i think largely the approach to 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 this movie lawrence kasdan the uh you know he he wrote the screenplay story by george lucas and and uh, was it was it philip kaufman was the other name um but kazan wrote screenplay and it seems like it, he did some really good stuff in the 80s like this is yeah, if only he was doing real good stuff now i know right? <laughs> that's what i said he did some real good stuff in the 80s um but uh yeah i mean it's it, i think there was a Go talk on. about talk about a run, right? It was like uh, Empire, then this, and then Body Heat. Yep. And then even like, I mean, the Big Chill is one of my favorite. Like, I love the Big Chill, and Silverado was good, and like, you know, it's all he did a ton of stuff uh, in the eighties that was that was really solid. He was he was punching above his weight for sure. But um, there's there's more to do with with him and. I think there's an interesting, uh, interesting talk too about kind of some of the arguments that between Kasdan, Spielberg, and Lucas, 
like hashing out what this movie was going to be and who Indiana Jones was going to be. Uh, and I think, uh, uh, Alex, a lot of the small things that, that you like about it, that, that you're responding to about the small little character beats and, and sort of the rough around the edges parts of, of, of this movie. Like, I think a lot of those, from what I can tell, a lot of those were from an argument that Kasdan won. Like, I think, I think oh. that there's a lot of, which we can get, we can get to some more of that too, because like you're talking about Spielberg wanted to make a Bond movie and yeah. there were moments that Lucas wanted him to be like a playboy and, you know, th and things like that. But like when they whittled him down to, he's just this, he's this guy that clearly feels pain and he gets beat up and he kind of, you know, keeps, he's able to kind of keep going. Uh, but he's, he's every man is all hell. And he's like a, this kind of nervous professor when he's not out in the field and all that stuff. Like all of those little things feel like Kasdan's, yeah. Kasdan's wins, right? Yeah. Cause I think Lucas and Spielberg both wanted them to be this bond level, like infallible hero who also shows up at the door in a tuxedo and there's a woman waiting for him. And like, it's that kind of thing, which, which that kind of thing is, is gone completely from the character. Um, and he wasn't around for Temple of Doom, which is why he gets the white dinner jacket and the red, you know, flower and all that stuff in the beginning of Temple of Doom. But I also um, think to your point, that makes Karen Allen, Allen's character that much more special. Right. Because like, yep. like talk about being like the opposite of a damsel. And I mean, we'll talk. We'll, I'm sure we'll get into it. Just like her, just like ripping shots in Nepal. And it's yes. like, like not only does she just like rip shots but like she you know she then fight like fends off the nazis and like is never like though she gets saved she's never like the damsel and like she holds her own again yeah. like with indy and i think that that's like to your point it plays better that indy and her like indy isn't a playboy that she's not just like the flavor of the week or like the flavor of the cereal kind of thing yeah well we makes yeah, her feel, we'll talk about it, it. It makes her feel more unique, you know? I, I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on Marion, um, and we'll go over them. But to your point, Clint, I just, like, I... The reason why Indiana Jones works as a, as a character is because everything he listed. Like, he's always an underdog. He's always scrappy. Um, he's always getting his ass kicked in a way that any of us would get our asses kicked. So, yeah, no. Yeah. Pain and fear and like surprise, like all of that registers in also a really kind of a jerk sometimes. Like there are so oh, many yeah, times where I'd be team. like, No, he's not. Yeah. And I kind of like yeah. that though. Which, yeah. And that's that that'll be the last thing we tease before we get it. Let's the other the one little thing that we need to to discuss about the pedigree uh of the movie is Harrison Ford. Right? Like where I mean, I don't wanna I don't wanna have that Han Solo versus versus Indiana Jones discussion, but like I mean, is it because Harrison Ford at this point, particularly, and he, they still didn't want him like Tom Selleck nah, had, to be Selleck, had right? the part. Yeah. And, and like George Lucas was like, I don't want it. I don't want it to feel like you're like my guy or whatever, which uh, that was part of the thinking where he just didn't want Harrison Ford to also be Indiana Jones. But but at the same time, like, holy, who else? Uh, Tom Selleck, I no, just the answer is no. You know, like, <laughs> like it felt as much like a been guy. Harrison Ford. Yeah. Like Harrison Ford. But, just, I mean, it, yeah, he feels like a really like a, a, he's someone who looks like a Hollywood actor, but he feels like a dude, at least in Indiana Jones. So he is someone who is as skeptical as any of us would be. Um, and I think, you know, we can go it. We shouldn't go into the Han Solo versus Indiana Jones thing. But you see so much overlap and so, so much of what he learned from Indy on Han, I think. 
Well, yeah. I mean, at this point he had Star Wars and Empire under his belt. He was, I mean, he had, he was, he showed up in Apocalypse Now for a minute, um, which was mm -hmm. cool. But then after, uh, you know, it's hard to argue with, with him in the eighties. I mean, with, between this and then Blade Runner and Witness and Frantic and stuff like that, like he was, he was killing it in the eighties. And I think like, but this is the thing that unlocks that door for him. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of his like trajectory, yeah. like Han Solo always made him a star for sure. And then also getting to be Indiana Jones was just. It's insane. Like I was trying yeah. to think of a, a good modern day equivalent. And we do have, you know, a lot of we have like a lot of Marvel stars that are also. But like, I, I can't think of one someone with more of a star studded run, I think, than Harrison. We have a lot in of this era. We have a lot of Marvel Tom stars Cruise. that can't carry their own movies outside of Marvel. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, like they appear in yeah. a lot of stuff, but they're not the star that Harrison was during this time. Right. Tom Cruise, he could do that. Right. Like, but I like. <sighs> But like he's in got, Tom Cruise movies, you know, I don't know. It, it's just not the same. I mean, no, he's not. No one's Harrison Ford, right? Because like Harrison Ford carried these like two franchises and like the like the third is like Jack Ryan, you know, because like then Jack Ryan yep. came in like the like late is is that just straight up the 90s, right? Uh, like, the Patriot Games, I think, was late 80s. Yeah. And then Clear and Present Danger, I think, because Clear yeah. and Present Danger was he used. Uh, then you get into um um, the uh, oh, fugitive and yeah. uh, you know, clear and present danger. Right. And he's starting to get a little, starting to show his age a little bit in his every manness uh, yeah. in the 90s. But dude, 90s Harrison Ford still rips, man. Yeah, is when he started running. Harrison Ford runs as though he's in like two feet of water, like it's this weird <laughs> stomping, and I don't. It's he just looks so goofy to me whenever he runs in the 90s. Same deal, with Air Force One. Like action, him and him doing action, it's like this crazy, weird stomp, like he's running through water. It's hilarious to me. Uh, next time you watch him run, uh, just think about that. <laughs> so that's uh, that'll do it for the pedigree. If unless there's anything else in general, you guys need to talk about with this movie before we dive into some some brilliant moments here. I think we teased enough of them up front that we we I should probably we start talking them. about them in in depth. Um, but let's start right up, right up front with the beginning. I mean, this, this, uh, temple, um, sequence. Talk about all the jaws cues, right? You just don't see him as he's like, yeah. kind of like working his way through the jungle and through like through the jungle. And it's only when he has his like hands up, that's like the face reveal. So cool. Yeah. It's a great yeah, character reveal. And for it to be, the, and I think this is the first hints of like, what makes him so good as a protagonist is he's actually not a great dude. Like they introduced him like a bad guy, kind of like, I mean, that's, he's, he's all lurking in the shadows and you don't really know what he's up to. And you feel bad for the people that are following him because like, he's just like, he grabs a little dart and he's like, eh, yeah, whatever. And then he's like, Oh my God, this is poison. It'll kill us instantly. <laughs> like we're like, what? And he's just casually walking into it and bringing these poor people along with him. Uh, you know, that's how, that's how we meet him. Uh, you know, and then fending off a guy that's trying to shoot him in the back, um, which is, which is crazy. Um, I, so I also watched this, uh, yesterday with my daughter who is eight, uh, which was, I've, this movie I've never not had memorized. Like I've, I saw this movie when I was a very small kid. And so like, 
I, there's no fresh way to watch this movie except with like my eight year old daughter, I think, which was kind of fun because if, and this is a sequence when he turned around and, you know, walks into the light, she was like, oh, that was him this whole time. And oh, so, so it was, it was her like, first oh. time. It was her first time watching it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's never seen it before. Um, so there, are, she did have some some interesting tidbits that I that, I, that I'll pepper in through, throughout this uh, some of these some of these scenes. But she was it was it was honestly illuminating to watch this movie with a kid who number one, like you know, being my kid, like I make her watch a ton of movies. So she sort of she sort of gets movies in in general. But like she has no idea who Indiana Jones is. She has none of my baggage. And so like watching it's it's it, it was it was amazing to watch her respond to certain filmmaking things that this movie does so well. That's like that base level of like this is a universal language of cinema that humans understand, like whether or not they have been to film school or not. Like so the idea that she was surprised by this, she's like kind of thought it was a bad guy to start with. She's like, oh, that's that's him. Like weird. I like that a lot because I was thinking. I was thinking about kind of almost kind of comparing it to uh, the reveal in Terminator 2, where you figure out that Arnold is the good guy, but you would have that ruined for you if you had seen the trailers. I was wondering, like, if you had never seen anything about Indiana Jones, if you didn't know that Harrison Ford was the good guy, would you think he's the bad guy? And I think I kind of think you would. I mean, at the very least, I mean, for like two minutes, which is kind of yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah, for for just a couple of minutes up front um, or at, at minimum, like you would have known. I guess if you if you'd seen the trailer and you knew that this movie was coming and you knew that Harrison Ford was playing Indiana Jones, like maybe you just don't realize that it's when he turns around. I mean, it is a a star turn and walk towards the camera and you're like, ah, yeah, that's Harrison Ford. I recognize him. Um, but uh, but anyway, like it was great to, to see that that intro holds up on like a caveman brain level, you know, <laughs> like like. Yeah, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I, I almost there's two really good character introductions in this movie. I think Marion's almost as good. I, I oh, really yeah. like her introduction, too. Um, but the other thing yeah. I appreciate about this uh, and when I was just rewatching it a couple days ago, I just really appreciate how pretty it is. Like the it makes the jungle look so gorgeous. And he does the same kind of thing to the desert later. Uh, Spielberg, it's just nice to look at, you know? Yeah. Light streaming through things is is yeah. always Great. I mean, he loves always, the sun. Loves yeah, the there's sun. always there's always a hazer working, or there's always wind kicking up sand, or or there's not, and there's just like this bright, crazy, you know, uh, uh, light shining through a window that you can almost reach out and touch. Um, they love burning tires in the in the in the plane fight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just fight. like, how are we going to get smoke? I don't know. Set some tires on fire. Um, but the rest of this intro, this temple sequence is, I, I think, worth studying. Like, this is another one that is, it's so, that boulder chasing him is so iconic. And the way that they slow play the walk into it and establish every little thing that comes back later from the bag, the sand in the bag, and then you find out what it's for later, which is another thing that even my daughter was like, ah, that's what that was for. So it's like making a meal out of a thing up front, but not talking about it like visual cues and then like it comes back later and you're like, ah, uh, there's so much of that in this movie there's too. There's so much like, of that. Like the, yeah. the burning, the, the, the 
the thing on his hand, like the way that they revisit that. And it explains something that we saw on screen 20 minutes ago, but they don't, you know, they just do it casually like that. And that's, um, but I love this scene Forrestal. I, I had the thought to watching this, that Forrestal is competitor who, who died in the cave. Like if this were star Wars, Forrestal would have a Disney plus series. <laughs> like I kind of, if he, if he was a, a contemporary of Indiana Jones, I'm sure he's got 20 years worth of adventures uh, that we could see, you know. Well, they make it seem like he's going to be the main villain of the movie, which is another thing I like. <laughs> and then he's just, nope. Um, but I also, uh, one thing I, that I found out when I was just kind of like looking stuff up. Uh, so, you know, when they have the tarantulas on the back, um, this is not a torf. I'm not blowing a torf. Um, apparently, <laughs> did you guys know that tarantulas are cannibals? They eat other tarantulas. They eat other yeah, tarantulas. They eat it. Yeah, so they had to separate all the like the real tarantulas by fake so, tarantulas, so they wouldn't eat each other. Anyway, that's just a fun fact. Huh. Yeah. So when I you see them on their backs, yeah. Yeah, I knew that they're not like poisonous or particularly dangerous for us. They're just big and hairy and and terrifying to Gross. look at. Yeah. Um. But uh, no, I didn't know they were cannibals. Crazy. Yeah. They they don't um, have to worry. You don't have to worry about us, but worry about them eating each other. Yeah. I do think uh, by the time everything's going going nuts, uh, like the the amount of stuff that you learn about Indiana Jones in all of this action is also. Per and this is the first instance of seeing him like you see how how, you know, capable he is going in and out. And then when he grabs when he jumps across the thing after uh, Alfred Molina, you know, ditches him with the whip. Um and he's grabbing onto that root and then he slides back and that he's like, so he's like, yeah, he's smiling. Cause I got it. I made it. And then he slides back with the root. And it's like, that's that first moment of like, Oh, this guy, this guy knows he's in danger and he knows he's in trouble. Like that's well, Spielberg really knows how to like extend those moments. Right. You know, just like, is he going to make it or not? Right. Like the other, like the other moment of that and the, like, from that scene that I always think about is when Indy is about to grab the idol. My like favorite Alfred Molina shot of all time is just as uh, like the, the slow dolly in, uh, like so close. Yeah. And then it's and then it cuts back to Indy grabbing the idol, and it's and just it, like it, it. Even I think it mixes in a pan past some of the, the the faces carved into the wall that the arrows are shooting out of, and like like yeah, there's. And just like to prolong that moment, just like the, mm -hmm. the pregnant anticipation of almost getting the idol is so good. And it's replicated later, too, in the escape and how they can just extend these moments of tension for mm -hmm. like a, an extra beat that adds so much to like the quality of the filmmaking, you know? Well, and even just the choice to like look at the idol and then weigh the bag and then lose some of the sand. And then like even just that choice of just like take one moment longer to to think about this. Yeah. Um, and of course, John Williams is not award winning score. Just kind of like <laughs> just kind of like getting at the back of your neck the whole time. It's an incredible sequence. I, the, the other thing that I, I love about this cold open and meeting Belloc as soon as he gets out of the cave. Yeah. And this is a thing that, and Cal, you and I have had this conversation. We had this conversation a little around Dial of Destiny too. And this is why I think where, where Crystal Skull as well and Dial of Destiny, one of, the, one of the things that they did wrong, I feel like, as an Indiana Jones movie, is 
the cold open, the first action scene was connected to the main story yeah. of the rest of the movie. The fact yeah. that he's getting a, an idol that's unrelated to anything, like we're meeting him on an adventure that is in progress and the rest of the movie is about a different thing. So like there's no narrative lifting that's ha that has to happen. And so it is all character it's stuff. All Right? Yeah, it's all five. So, you know, this yeah, is who it's all is. it's all we got to meet Indiana Jones. We got to get a clear idea of who he is. And then we get to meet Belloc. Right. We get to meet his rival. And then we know that. And when Belloc comes back later, we already know who he is. And we don't have to meet him. So like characters, dynamics and vibes, to your point, like that's all the heavy lifting in these cold opens. And there's zero story being told that's going to be relevant after, you know, after we get back to, to the world. You know, they did that in Temple of Doom. He was on a completely other adventure, adventure and that's how he meets, you know, yep. uh, Willie. And then we get, you know, it's 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 more of a straight line because there's like a, the plane crash or whatever. But it's the same deal with um, with Last Crusade as well, where the cold open is him as a kid and it's a different adventure. It establishes a couple of things. It establishes like his hat and sort of his the the guy that he's impersonating for the rest of his life and then also his dynamic with his father. And so it's like those are the two important things about that cold open, which I think, you know, once the cold open of Crystal Skull is him finding the Crystal Skull and the cold open of Dial of Destiny is him finding the Dial of Destiny or whatever, which is like, it's, it doesn't work quite the same. Yeah. I, so I actually I didn't even put that, one. not to talk too much about Indy at large. I think that is one of the things that really bothered me about Dial of Destiny and it just went on too long. But what I like about this is that it's quick. I mean, how long does this last? It's like maybe five minutes if that no, it's longer than you think it is because don't is forget it? yes it that, feels yeah. really quick because you it's also have he, to like you have to outrun flies, the boulder yeah he flies away with jock uh 12 minutes in 13 almost 13 minutes in god it feels it, it moves so quick well it's it's extremely well paced right and there's all these different segments because it's just the the reveal then they have mm. to traverse the stuff that's like semi-dangerous. And by the way, the use of like decomposed skeletons in this movie are so good. They always pop up in spaces. So like, you know, you see them as they're, as they're coming in. So, you know, it's dangerous. And then there's like the, the moment of like right before the climax, which they really extend of like grabbing the idol. And then they have to run back through all the things that they teased with the boulder that you didn't even realize was a thing. So that adds all that drama on top of that. And then once they like, once they successfully navigate that, then it's running across the hills, start the plane, you know? And then like, you gotta, yes, you gotta have a conversation with Belloc yeah. in there in, yeah. in, the, in the middle. And then he has to, a lot does happen. Yeah. And then he has to throw, like, then he has to throw the fishing, the fishing, fishing pole. He's like, oh shit. I love Jock. I wish yeah. we got more of Jock. Somewhere. I know. I was thinking like, the same thing. I'm surprised that we didn't. Where's He's great. Well, also to that point, Cal, you brought up Alfred Molina, his film debut. And then yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Alfred Molina does so much heavy lifting without, I don't, does he have a line? I think it's yeah. just, he's got a couple. He's got a couple. Yeah. He, cause he just does so much acting with his face there to push like so much emotional beats and like, just like, uh, you know, extend extent like extend the the drama it's so good it's it's he's so memorable in that and yeah, it's such he's got, a small he's got the role. first line actually poison's yeah. still fresh three days yeah. um but yeah it's but also to your point alex like it is fast like we're just rattling off all that stuff that happens in only 13 minutes um 
and the, and it happens and it happens really skillfully. It is a fast, very incredibly well put together 13 minutes film. Um, and also my daughter said, I love it when in action movies, people have to run away from boulders, uh, <laughs> which to me says that okay. Raiders is so iconic and it's been it's been homaged so many times that my eight year old daughter is aware of the trope of people running away from boulders in action movies. Well, that's the so funny thing about this scene too. Like that's the, that's the scene that you think about when you think about Indiana Jones. I don't even think it's the best part of this scene. I think him kind of jumping out of the room with the, with the gold statue is kind of the best part. The boulder is great, but it's, it's, it's crazy to me that, that like that became the, the iconic great, uh, iconic image we took well, because uh, behind and, and it. Where it's placed it's so in the sequence though, too, is like, it's just like, Oh, what now? You know, and even that look yeah, on his yeah. face too, when he like turns around and sees him, he's like, oh, oh God, like was, there's, there's was, just one more thing that we weren't prepped for. We were prepped for all the darts. We were prepped for the the thing that got uh, Alfred Molina, the the jump over the, the little uh, the pit. We were prepped for all of that. We were not prepped for the boulder, you know, also, so like the boulder is a, is a thing that's like, oh God, now here's all, another thing. Also, that may be just like one of the most exquisitely composed shots in the movie, right? Like it, it is, is very it, cool is, it is designed to be a poster. It has like multiple layers, right? And it's like a nice wide shot, but it's a low angle shot. So not only is it looking up at Indy and you get the profile of his face, so you get to see, like you get to see his back turned, but you see enough of his face that, you know, like the horror. And then there's this just huge friggin rock that's just rolling down. And it's just like, well, what do you do? It's so yeah. good. There's there's a reason why that's like on posters. It, it's so iconic because it's just it's so dynamic and it instantly conveys drama. And to quit your point about like, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but to your point about it being like, oh, my God, another thing. I think when, you know, Harrison lands and you see his face after, I think that's where you first see that moment of, oh, he's tired. Like and you see that throughout the movie, especially at the end, after he's had like event after event. Um, but that's yeah. really where you like get it set up. I think that like he's just he's a dude. He's not a suit. Like, he's, he's he's yeah. Yeah, he's he's wary uh, from the from the jump from the beginning because even like him like pulling his gun out to hand to to belloc like he looks in pain and he looks tired and that's how we meet him like and this is well before it's not the years it's the mileage you know the line <laughs> i from, was gonna from say later. it <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, but that's been we've we've seen that on him and and in his energy for the whole movie up to that point so um but then I, the great thing, the other thing, too, that makes this and this is not a thing that may register for anybody but me, but the fact that we more or less hard cut from this adventure to him being a nervous professor uh, <laughs> I love this is so, so great. So like that minute 13 to minute 14, all of a sudden he's he's got his glasses on. He's he's trying to remember how to spell Neolithic. Uh, and then he's like, after class, you know, he's, he's got his, his papers and stuff and he can barely carry him. And he's like, what do they want to talk to me for? Like, he's this nervous kind of nerdy dude all of a sudden after what we just saw him go through. And it's like to juxtapose those two halves of Indiana Jones so immediately like that, uh, I think is another thing that makes that whole open even better. And you kind of learn his weakness in that opening scene. Cause not that it's subtle, but the snake in the plane, uh, Again, another payoff. Oh, That's yeah. payoff later. Yeah. Yeah. Literally like screaming, I hate snakes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's just Reggie. 
Oh, that's yeah. just Reggie. <laughs> Reggie, what a yeah, great I name! Yeah, I want for the adventure, name. the adventures of Reggie and Jock needs to at least be an animated series. <laughs> that would be adorable. <laughs> There's a big snake in the play, Jock. Oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie. I hate snakes, Jock. I hate them. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I mean, that opening scene, I mean, I we, we did a whole art of the scene on it years and years ago about the production side of things um, and the way that they went about it, like the the boulder being, you know, there are estimates anywhere from 300 to 800 pounds that like, which isn't, you know, proper boulder weight, but like, man, that'll, that'll hurt somebody. Um, <laughs> and they're just doing it all in camera. Uh, yay for the early 80s. Um, yeah, there were a lot of practical next? stunts. Uh, yeah. Also, I do want to just... It's part of this, I think, um, is you mentioned the uh, introduction to him as a professor. One thing that always gets me every time I watch this movie is the weird moment where the the woman blinks and it says, love you on the eyelids. It (laughs) feels so out of place in the moment. And uh, you can tell he's very thrown off by it, but it's just such an odd touch. But also it's kind of realistically touching on the fact that he's Harrison Ford. 
and that yes, students would probably be very attracted to him. Uh, but he's still Do like, you- yeah, like you were saying, a nerdy dude. Do you think that she wrote that on her eyes herself? Or no, she had to get a I thought about this. She had to have a friend do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. imagine trying to do that yourself. Because you can't, like, close like one eye like, naturally, right? And then write backwards. And then to also do it in the mirror, right? Yeah, yeah right so you got to, like, you, you got to red rum it on your eyes. <laughs> Honestly, even no. if somebody else does it to you, that's still a talent. Like, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, but yeah, I think that that little moment feels like a leftover of the Lucas wants to make him a playboy kind of kind of energy. Like That's I imagine what I was that thinking. was in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I bet that there's some which is funny to think about. Like even if on the day Spielberg's like, yeah, I know they went all the women want you, uh, but to have Harrison Ford still being so flustered by it is a fun. It's a fun beat. Yeah, because like aside from the whole Marion thing, you really don't see women throw themselves at Indy throughout the rest of the movie. Only in a classroom. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Only in a classroom (laughs) setting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we can move on, I think, to the uh, there's just one. I think you mentioned it earlier, Alex, about the these the fun little moments that that are all kind of built into this, which I flagged a couple, too, in, in this uh in this meeting with the the government the g-men uh porkins uh from star wars um soon to be eckhart from batman um Mm -hmm. but there's those so this is a scene the scene where he's describing what the the arc is where they come and they they tell like ravenwood was in a nazi communique blah 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 it's it's a lot of very dry expository stuff, right? It's just explaining things and it's flipping open a book and he's literally drawing on a chalkboard, like here's what it is. Um, But it's those, there's a couple of moments in there that make this scene really, really sing to me. And one of them is there's a cutaway to Porkins. I can't remember what his name is in the movie. He's like, like, he he says something and then he like eyeballs Indiana Jones a little bit like he gives him he gives him a look up down like I don't trust you and then you can see Indy and not even a cut not even a reaction shot but you can see him in the foreground of the shot of Porkins like reacting to it and there's these moments of like it's those character building tiny little moments. there's another one in the same scene where Marcus Brody's looking at him and just beaming with pride as he's explaining what the Ark of the Covenant is and what the city of Tannis is. And he knows all of this stuff back to front. And Marcus is sitting there like with this paternal kind of glow on him. Uh, and it's those tiny little moments in this scene that is literally just exposition explaining the stakes of the rest of the movie um, that are that are really engaging. Yeah, there's like a lot of, uh, I think even within the two government guys, uh, even though they are very distinct from one another, they're very different in their temperament. One's a little more like willing to kind of put up with Indy where the other is yeah. not. And it's like, they didn't need to do that. Of them too, right? Yeah. yeah there's, Cause he's like, didn't you guys ever go to Sunday school? And one guy's like, well, I, I, I you know, but then <laughs> I Pork also wonder right if ahead. that was discussed in Sunday school. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't go to Sunday school, but the Ark like of the Covenant. No. I, you know, yeah. I don't know. Depends on, <laughs> depends on which Sunday you, you went. I suppose nah, that, that, that's not any, that's not any catechism. Yeah, or at least not not for Catholics. <laughs> but I do um, also when they introduce the Ark of the Covenant, that is when you first get like because oh, John Williams, of course, has like little he has themes for each and everything, and that's where you first get that Ark of the Covenant theme, and I it just really struck me upon a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way that the way that John Williams uses stings 
in in this score is is really something else. Which I'll go ahead and skip ahead <clears throat> to uh, to quote my daughter again on a one when they when he gets on the plane to to start head to head out on the and and we see uh, uh, Todd like is on the plane with him and I asked or Frankie said well who's that guy and I was like well what do you think and she's like well he's a bad guy I'm like how'd you know that. She said, well, because he was peeking above a magazine and that's always suspicious. And then also the music was kind of scary. And I was like, yep, nailed it. <laughs> that's exactly, I, I, that's the point. That is that's, exactly yeah. what it is. Like, yeah. you know, my eight year old was saying like, well, you know, it's always suspicious when you peek over a magazine. It's like, sure is. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I've seen people not to go off on a tangent, but I've seen people use kind of, oh, the music was trying to tell me how to feel as almost a criticism of certain movies. I don't think that's a bad thing. I like that John Williams tells us that he's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it works. I mean, it depends on the moment, too. Like sometimes it can be, you know, it's like anything else. Like sometimes it can be a little on the nose and a little sort of like, OK, I get it, man. Um, but in, in a <laughs> movie like this. <laughs> In, in a movie like this, like it's this is a big pulpy adventure novel of a of a of a movie, you know, and that's as as it was designed to be. And so like having that blah, 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 like when the bad guy shows up, it's like, yeah, no, I get it. He's a bad guy. And now I'm worried about him because there's a bad guy sitting two rows behind him on that plane yeah, where they're handing out champagne. It's like, God, huh? travel used to be so much better. Cooler. <laughs> yeah. Um. What else did I have? Oh, the other thing that she said was, it's one of my favorite lines of the whole movie. Uh, when uh, Marcus is at his house and he's like, they want you to go after it. And they start talking about the boogeyman and all that stuff. And he's like, you know what a cautious guy I am. And then he tosses a gun into frame. And like, that's the, like, that's a character moment for him. And it's like, oh yeah, no, he's not, not afraid to shoot a guy, I guess. But then my daughter says, well, he's not cautious. He just threw a gun. <laughs> also a really good point um but let's move on to to meeting marion because we're we're getting there we've been we've been talk, wanting to talk about this scene in in depth for a while now um so i mean what like my thing with this scene is that like you there's no way it would exist anymore i don't think there's any way that this scene is built the same way like when you're meeting the heroine of your movie playing a drinking game in a dive bar in Nepal. Like, I think if you make this movie right now, she's teaching orphans ballet or something yeah. silly like that, you know, like she's, uh, an so just a, yeah, she, she's an altruist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I love well, the scene. I, I also I love, love it that too. it's not, it's not Indy watching her. Like there's a version of this where Indy walks in and he kind of stays at the back of the crowd and watches the drinking game. And so the the scene is kind of his scene in that in that way. But they don't do that. It's it's her scene. It's very much her scene. Mm -hmm. And that's I, I so I love Marion. And uh, like the more I think about her, the more I love her. Um, but to your point, like this is this is truly, truly, truly our introduction to Marion. I don't think she is mentioned at all. Ravenwood is mentioned, but Marion is not. We don't know who this she woman is. There's, is. there's a there's that moment um, between Indy and Marcus where he's like, do you think she'll be with him oh yeah, yeah we get we get a little bit of a they've got a history yeah. um but but there's no that's it i don't you know yeah but i i you Marianne's kind of immediately the least of your worries indeed that's right you're right sorry um, I have to, again this movie has never not been in my brain so <laughs> 
No, but she like is almost introduced not as I don't know. One thing that I like about Indy is that he's kind of a scumbag, and well, yeah, yeah this he's kind is of introduced like... is kind of, also kind of a scumbag. <laughs> like she is drinking these guys under the table, and I love her for it. I mean, I, no, I, I see Marion as like she's she's tough as shit. And she's yeah. been she's been stuck like she even did. She even says it like I got stuck. I got dragged around this whole world while my dad was searching for his trinkets and like she's had a tough go and she's like surviving. And, you know, she's she's tough as shit. She's great. Well, it tells you a lot without seeming like it's telling you a lot similar to how we were introduced to Indy. Like we don't learn everything about him in that cold open by him just telling us Um and I think this introduction to Marion does a good job of both showing and telling. Like we know she's a badass because she's drinking all these guys under the table. But then, yeah, it drops yeah. little it drops little story character beats in there. Yeah. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it also very subtly implies that they got their relation. They, they started their relationship in a classroom. I did I, some I don't know about the that. classroom, but she was she was very young. I've also yeah. read that Lucas wanted her to actually be younger and like like I there this is another one of those like when they were developing the thing it was just like yeah no she was 12 and it's like whoa 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 <laughs> like but I, I think it, it they she was she was very much too young yeah. I, I think was, is, is I think all she was roughly like 15 or whatever something. the math is yeah you know she was a child and she was in love and all of those things that she says and and his reaction to that was like you knew what you were doing which God, he's like, such a what? jerk. He's such a, yeah, he makes me yeah, so yeah. mad in this scene. But I think that's why I like Marion so much. Cause I'm just like, Oh my God, just kick him out of your bar already. I hate yeah. him so much. Um, but I, despite the ick factor of it, I think that's kind of why I appreciate this first scene bef between them. Cause you get so much darkness out of it and so much resentment. Like she really like, obviously they're still attracted to one another, but she's like, has total reason to hate him. Yeah. They're starting out at odds too. And, and I think also like it does a couple of things for me. It's one of the reasons why I think this movie so, like number one, like the fact that Indy is at minimum a jerk. Um, like he's he's so he's super flawed. Like there are no no bones about it. He's a very flawed guy um, in terms of like the hero of our movie. Like he's kind of a jerk. He's jealous. He's a big the baby about a lot of things. Um, and so like, not only are we presented with the protagonist that is like very rough around the edges and very flawed, like number one, the other thing that it does is like, I don't mind seeing him getting punched in the face, <laughs> you know, like part of Indy's appeal is that he's a guy that, you know, he, he, he always gets back up. Like he gets his ass kicked and he gets back up and he's, he's often doing the adventure, but you can see the pain registers and we see him struggling and all of that stuff. We see him be afraid. Whereas like, I, I think part of the, the other side of this character, the part that would get into an inappropriate relationship with a girl that's way too young, uh, he kind of deserves it. Like, like there's a weird there's a weird amount of like no 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 you 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 should probably get your ass kicked a little bit like don't this shouldn't be easy for you you dick like that it's it's that kind of there's a little bit of that that this that Marion and Indy's relationship kind of injects into watching him get his ass kicked for the rest of the movie for me anyway. Well, I 
I will say that no one gets their ass kicked quite like Harrison Ford. He's just so yeah. good at taking a hit and and registering the pain, like you said. Um, but it's also like what we see in this scene is consistent in regards to Indy's character. It's not that he doesn't care about Marion, but I feel like his mind is always on the artifact. And you see that, you know, later when we get to the desert and he kind of leaves her in the tent. Um, but it just sets the stage for so many other things that happen throughout Raiders. And, and again, toward the end, when he doesn't blow up the arc, he can't can't bring himself to destroy the ark because mm-hmm. you just you just can't um and belloc knows belloc knows him better than anybody else he knows that he's not going to do that but um so yeah he's his first priority is he's an archaeologist and everything else is kind of a tied for second place um but i do i do and also the rest of this scene any, any more to do with, with meeting marion we because the rest of the scene the the fight scene that that follows i think is also really cool uh, in that it, the one thing that always that I always love about it is that there is no John Williams. There is no music for it. Like it builds and builds and builds and then it cuts out, um, which is always kind of a when that when that works, like it's when it, you know, I feel like a lot of a lot of action sequences will do that, which is like the score goes away and all you hear is sounds of the car chase and that sort of thing. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But when it works, like it, it's a really fun effect. It definitely, I feel like it makes it feel more serious and that kind of builds. So after Indy leaves, you kind of see Marion kind of, you know, try to put, exert a little power in the situation. Like, this is my bar. Do you want some drinks? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but it immediately established, like, it, it, it tells you kind of really quickly, like, like, oh, things are in danger. People could die. This is a serious situation. Yeah. I think, too, it's also just one one extra layer of, like, the artifice of of movies in general that is pulled away. So like if, if, if this was the first moment that we want to feel like Indy is actually in danger or that there's real stakes happening here, like in the, the opening sequence is like, no, this is this crazy temple and he's, he's doing, you know, uh, this is a, uh, a sort of more outlandish adventure or whatever. Whereas this one is like, let's just, there's no music. So it's going to feel slightly more grounded. Uh, it's going to feel a little more stakesy. Uh, either way, like I, th- I think it's great. It all of a sudden, also, music cuts out and it's just gunfire. <laughs> I was just gonna say, there's also higher stakes here because this is the first gunfight, right? So like the opening scene doesn't have guns; it has like the natives, what with their bows and arrows and spears. And now it's now now we're introduced to the Nazis and guns, and then like the bar catches on fire. There's the shootout. It's it's so much fun. <laughs> And tot. Yeah. Tote? Tote. Tot. How are we going to say it? Tot. I think no. Tot. Oh, tot. Let's go with tote. I, I, I can rule. Oh. Let's go exactly halfway in between. Tot. <laughs> um, but he is, is an incredible villain. Like, I, I love I love everything that he does in this movie. He looks like a little evil Rick Moranis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even to the and by the time we get to the end, and he takes his hat off, and he's got no hair, like it's it's so great. Well, kind of the scene what in we're the saying, desert where he yeah. he pulls out the the coat hanger that looks like a torture device, and then we realize that he's like that. To me, is the whole movie like it's one of those 
this is why I love Raiders of the Lost Ark is because we think he's pulling out like some sort of weird torture device, but it's actually a coat hanger that he hands to one of his guys to, to put his jacket on. It's, it's perfect. Well, also just so unsubtle kind of to what we were saying earlier. He's just an over the top. I mean, he's a Nazi. He's a bad dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- yeah. this movie trades in, in archetypes like so thorough. Like some of these guys are just cartoons, you know, like they're 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 broad strokes like that. We, we're not going to we're not going to be super, you know, we, Indy and Marion are the two sort of grayest characters in in the movie. Like they are, there's some subtlety and there's some some sort of shiftiness to their dynamic where everybody else is just like good or evil. Full stop. I would argue, too, that Balak Balak has some interesting layers. Like he's obviously not a great dude. He's he's stood by a lot of Nazi Nazi stuff happening. Um, but yeah, everyone else is a cartoon. And there's so much of that in this movie where like it's cartoonish, but also dangerous, but also people are possibly dying. But also, you know, it's a little silly sometimes. Yeah. Um, what other moments we want to talk about, guys? Cal, you got one? Yeah. Um, let's talk about like, like, let's talk about the, once like they get into it, you know, and they're back, they're back in Tunis and like, and um, the fight in the streets of Cairo. Cause that's like, oh, a, I love that one. That's like a, that that's a multi-prong uh, design fight. And the best part is like, what's so great about that scene too, is not only like, is it really well designed, but like the, the, climax of it is serendipitous and not in the script yeah the yeah. the high point of it yep yeah so when he's shoot, shooting shooting yeah. the swordsman when he shoots the swordsman that was that was improv on the day because harrison ford was sick and he couldn't actually go through with the fight that they had choreographed yeah oh yeah, huh. he had yeah. he was he was he too like he couldn't do any, he had a, yeah. anything physical. That's the this is potentially a torf that I'm ruining, but uh everybody in when they were shooting on location in Tunisia, like everybody except for Spielberg, Spielberg. got massively sick because Spielberg was shipping all he was eating like Chef Boyardee. It was all canned food that was shipped in from the UK. That's the only thing that he ate uh the whole time that they were shooting in Tunisia. And everybody else just got, got massively ill. I, was have, like, I actually so I couldn't help myself. I, I I found some fun things that I actually filed under under Torf in my in my notes here. So when we do get to Torf, I've got another fun one about that. If 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 we want to, we we might have extra we, Torf today. I don't think we blew any Torfs just now. But that is so great. funny that that wasn't in the script because I, it really struck me as a great moment because there are so many moments like in a lot of action movies where it's like just shoot them. Like, are we building up to a fight right now? <laughs> It's it, was like, well, I think this, it was like, oh, I'm I think <laughs> this moment has a lot to do with that. You know, like this, this is such an iconic, such a great moment that is just burned into our pop culture memories at this point. Um, that I think a lot of, a lot of frustration, like it sort of raised the bar for other, like now every movie has to have an insert of a guy getting a gun knocked out of his hand. So it's like, okay, well, now we know that it's just like had cell phones caused the problem of for writers of just like, well, how am I going to strand these people with no way to contact the mainland? It's like, well, I got to make an excuse for their phones. Like we got to put a dialogue in there that says, well, I don't got any, I don't have any bars. The storm, about you guys? The storm knocked it. out the power. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it's one of those, like, we have to write to excuses now, you know, it's like yeah, but the hell with it. Just set it in the seventies. I don't want to mess with cell phones. Um, the gun, the gun part is also nice too because he really sells it. Like, there's that shrug, and he's like, ah, f- 
Because it was so real. Like, it yeah. was 113 degrees in the desert and he had diarrhea and it was just like, <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. And, like, it's so funny. Man, there was a lot but of, I, again, we shouldn't get too much into, there's a lot of roughness. They were in the desert. They, I, I read yeah. somewhere how much water they, they shipped us said it's insane. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was tough, I'm sure. But, um, I mean, again, like it's, it's the same deal as like, it's the same deal as Jaws. You know, there is, uh, the shark broke. And so you do it a different way and that way wound up being better. You know, like it's, it's one of those happy accidents that like, it, it's easy to kind of be like, well, you know, he accidentally, the shark broke and he kind of accidentally gets credit for it or the, you know. Harrison Ford was sick and he accidentally gets credit for this being a cool scene. It's like, well, you got to be savvy enough to realize like the happy accidents when they show up, you know, you got to you got to be able to say like, no, actually, this is better. Or like you got to be smart enough to say, well, how are we going to do it if the thing that we're doing, especially because he was in a hurry on this movie and he wasn't going to lose a day to let Harrison Ford get over, you know, a stomach virus. So the other thing about this scene, too, it really makes you think Marion died especially with the music cues. And honestly, I don't know how she didn't die. And I know we're not really supposed to think about it too hard, but it really seemed like she did. Um, but if you didn't know it's, any better, this this is where it gets really high stakes. I mean, the the what we think is the female lead just died. She yeah. didn't, but. Yeah, it's one of those things that it doesn't really matter. Like if, mm -hmm. if you're, if it's, this movie is just not for you if that's the kind of thing that you're worried about. You know, it's one of those, one of those things. But I do yeah. want to like in terms of stuff that that, you know, might be considered a lamp bump. Uh, I, I this this action sequence has a couple of them for me, because if for a second, if we can just nerd out about maybe the most underappreciated person on any given film crew, particularly back in those days, the focus puller. Yeah, like the I thought you were going to say the is, Nazi monkey. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, the the assistant camera, the guy on the camera team. Uh, whoever was pulling focus during this this sequence, because there's a shot where he comes tearing around the corner into an extreme close up of his eyes, and like nailing that focus is incredible. Then there's a, subsequently when when the truck explodes, when Marion explodes, he comes running around a corner. Truck explodes in the background, and Harrison Ford flips to camera and goes up against the wall, and we rack focus back to there, like that. That he was like, okay, we're going to have a massive explosion on set. And also our main actor is going to run around a corner and then on a dime, as the truck explodes, turn to camera. You're going to pull your focus about 75 feet, like from the explosion in the background to close up of Harrison Ford in the foreground. And, you, and we were exploding a truck. So we can only do this once because we also have to hurry. Like that is the like nailsiest ask for for a crew that's also all sick in tunisia in 114 degree heat like that that you had that you decided to cover that sequence that way uh is uh, to me a, a bump of the lamp because it's like you could have done this an easier way like you could have cut your crew a little bit of slack but whoever that focus puller is is incredible i i dug around and i i don't know obviously i don't know who it was but i through the credits i i picked a few names that it might have been one of them guy named Robin Vision, 
was an assistant camera on on Raiders. He went on to DP a bunch of movies, including The Fly Two with our boy Chris Wallace. Hey. So I'm I'm rooting for it to be have been Robin Vigeon who pulled that incredible focus in that sequence and earned himself a lamp bump award for for this episode. He gets it. I'll give it to him. Yeah. Assuming it's him. Assuming it's him. It might have been it might have been some other people. But I also imagine like Spielberg watching the dailies that night and that shot being be soft. Like, Thank God. And then yeah. that guy never working again. <laughs> <Like, laughs> <laughs> <laughs> well, not to not to harp too much about uh, Marion and Indy too, but this is also a great little character builder for them too. Cause actually you get one of my favorite little moments in the movie where it's like, it's a date, you eat it. And she's pretending that the monkey is their child. And just like a nice little bit of humor in addition to how, yeah. um, how great the stunts are, how well it's shot. Do, do we want to talk just about like the art direction and stuff like that? Like, yeah, you know, you know, like when they when they get into like when they're trying to discover where the arc is and the length of the staff and because like they have to be there right when the sun goes down and it's just like uh, there's ways to just you know get people to where they need to go and then they're just like well what happens if we have this room and then we're gonna have a complete miniature we're gonna have a complete miniature of the city and if you stand right here we're gonna just raise an arc light up slowly <laughs> so the light goes through and hits i, I and hits love the, love the way the the sun moves yeah, in that yeah. in that scene it's great I'm telling you, there's a lot of sun work in this movie. It's yeah. like Spielberg really thought oh, about it. For sure. Even like the shot where like they're just it's like, like the the foreman is walking across like the top is like the ex excavators are just like, you know, hacking away in the sand and the sun is like slowly coming down yeah. behind them. Like those first stuff. couple of shots of them showing up in the desert, there's those long tracking shots with just hundreds of extras in the background and set set deck all the way to the horizon. Like some of the, that desert stuff looks in, incredible. Um, but I do also, also love that map yeah. room sequence because like it's also kind of a microcosm of everything else that they do in this movie and that there are three different things happening that are stressful. You know, it's just like I got to I got to get to the map room and I got to I got to find out where it is. They're digging in the wrong place. And then like it's uh, while Indy's wait, he's making the calculations, he's wiping sweat off his brow. He's doing all this stuff. Meanwhile, like Sala gets, you know, uh, uh, sidetracked by the Nazis and he's got to regroup and figure out a different way to get Indy out of the hole. And like every little thing in this movie, there are four things going on that are going to cause problems, maybe. It's just crazy. Which, by the way, Sala, is one of the all-time great sidekicks. Oh, fantastic. John Rhys-Davies. Yeah. I don't think we've talked about him yet. No, he's he's just no. the perfect amount of friendly, but also, like, I feel like you, you could see that he has his own agenda. No, perfect. Yeah, he's great. He's also, he's, he's there's a wisdom to him that's really, that's really yeah. great. Um, he's, anyway. If it is there, Tarnis... Then it is something that man was not meant to disturb. Death has always surrounded it. We got to talk about the truck chase. Oh my Once God, the arc to. is loaded onto the truck, that to me, this this is one of the reasons why I love this movie because it's it's that is one of the most exciting, largely practical car chases just ever. I it's think it's completely practical. There's, I mean, there's it, there's a couple, of, you know, the car driving off the cliff that shows up all of a sudden 
there's a there's a couple of things that that are are sort of painted in, but um, but yeah, I mean, guys, literally, there's a little bit of everything from that map painting of a of a of a car driving off a cliff to a guy falling off the side of the truck and the footage being sped up just a little bit to like every it's it's one of these like great moments in film where there's like every every old trick in the book is in this sequence and there's also a couple of new ones you know also was i should have looked this up was that harrison doing all the stunts because it looked a lot like harrison or was it a double i think there's some that's him think, but his, yeah. his his stunt double very famously looks just like him because yeah, if, like, you can't tell. Talk about job <laughs> It looks like Harrison doing it all. <laughs> yeah, Vic Vic Armstrong uh, is his name. Apparently, he like at one point Harrison Ford once told Vic, he's like, "If you ever learn to act, I'm in trouble." Because <laughs> he looks just like him. No, I, I, a great suit. Um, we haven't talked about the snake pit. I don't think either. The well of the souls. Yeah. The well of the souls. I mean, that's a, it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about the entire movie. We should have just done a watch along. Um, it's because, yeah, I mean, that it, it, so many snakes, just snakes all over the place. And that's another another great example of let's make this last as long as we possibly can, because it is a slow moving scene. But it is it's tense the whole time, because meanwhile, also, we keep cutting back to the tent where Belloc and and Marion are getting drunk and she's thinking about trying to escape. Um, but that sequence takes forever and it's tense from start to finish. And it's also you touched on the great like clothes hanger thing that Tot does. Um, but I think that's really the tense scene is where you really get to know Belloc and that he's, you know, you never quite know if he's pretending to be a gentleman, um, but I think he has a genuine affection for Marion. And that's why I think he's one of the, I would say, better indie villains, because he's not just a cartoonish. He's not like Tot, where he's just cartoonish. And yeah. yeah, I think in his way, he has an affection, but it's not a <laughs> it's not uh, a pure because ultimately, affection. ultimately, he's not all that broken up when she gets tossed down into the well of souls uh, oh, no. with Indy. He's like, uh, I didn't, eh, this was not plan a sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he genuinely enjoys her company in a way. Yeah. Yeah. For his part. Um, part yeah. I do think their escape from the well of souls is also funny. It's it's one of those things that it happens every now and then in movies where by the time they get out of there, he just shoves one rock kind of out of the way and then they climb out. Like, yeah, right, he has to like break through. He has to break through a wall and there's a bunch of terrifying skeletons and all of that stuff. But like ultimately, it's just like he's shoving part of a wall that's already been excavated out of the way. And that's how they get out, which is just like you guys were so close to the well of the souls is not not terribly <laughs> hidden at this point so yeah i mean like the entrance to the like an, an entrance to the well of souls is just like right at the end of the runway also it was right around the corner yeah, yeah. next to the plane yeah yeah and also like how light is that rock <laughs> that one man could just like shove this like huge stone out of the way and be like boop and there's we're also, out there's also a wide shot of them climbing out of that rock where you can see a guy it's either like a guy asleep, 
like right underneath where they're crawling out or like maybe there's a deleted scene where he had to punch the guy or something like that. He's he's unconscious or something like that. But there's a dude just on the ground next to where they're climbing out of the Well of Souls, which is just like, I don't know if it's just a guy on break or something like it. it but it, the, the point is like it's such a it's they do the same thing in Fellowship of the Ring, right? When they're after Gandalf falls fighting the Balrog, they just walk up a flight of steps and then they're out. Um, anyway, uh, let's, let's go, let's go straight to, listen, there's so much to this movie that's incredible, but oh, let's go wait, straight to the graphic. Thing. Oh yeah, go ahead. I really like the plane, the, that plane fight with, uh, Pat Roach and yes. he looks so psyched to wail on Indy. And at this point, again, to this kind of point of him being exhausted and exhausted, you just feel like Harrison's getting yeah. his ass beat. I like um, the one, the, the one second. Ahead. The one second where he's just like, yeah, he's just like, he's on, on the plan. He's just like, hey, I'm coming. Just give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I know we have to do this, but I just, just, I'll be right there. Hang on. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's good. And I'm glad you said Pat Roach. I had Pat Roach in my notes too. He's, he's such a, he's such a part of the Indiana Jones franchise too. Like he, cause he, we've already seen him once in this movie. He was the, he was one of the thugs in the bar in Marion's bar. He was like the big, the big dude. Um, and then he's, you know, the thuggy, uh, big thuggy guy in, in Temple of Doom as well. Um, but yeah, he, he was also in a Clockwork Orange. Like he was in a Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon. He worked with Stanley Kubrick before he <laughs> did either of these. So kind of fascinating. <laughs> um, but can we move ahead to the Wrath of God sequence? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Because this is, this is so cool. And I think, and and Cal, last year you did a, an incredible art of the scene on this whole, like we got to talk to a whole bunch of the main players. We talked to Joe Johnston and to um, Richard Edlund. And um, uh, it was, it, it's a really cool piece. Uh, but like this scene is worth talking about over and over again. Yeah, of course. It's because it's incredible. There's so much done, right? Like, I mean, we... I've spent so much time focusing on the face melting part of it, but there's so much more to it than the face melting part of it. And like, cause even like the way that they use, like they had a strap, like light bolt, like lights to the chests of the Nazis. So they could get that, like the, uh, the chain link effect, you know, yeah. of, of the lightning. And then they had to make like clay molds of the apparitions and then do like double photography to get all that stuff to work and like optical printing, all of that. Like they had, they had models swimming in tanks to be yeah. the ghosts and filming them that way. And then having them swim in reverse so that the, their hair was flowing different ways. And like everything they did about this scene was incredible. Yeah. I also, I also I, love it. I, no, I just ahead, love that. Alex. There's only three dudes that get their faces melted and the others are just taken out quick by lightning. But it's like, no, something special for you guys. Well, they all they all get their own special death, right? One of them, one of they them do. like implodes, one of them explodes and then there's the face melting. But cuz they were the, the the three proper antagonists, right, of this of this movie. Like they they all needed their own special way to die to to feel good about the end of this movie, you know. Yeah, you couldn't just like strike them with lightning like all the other Nazis. No. Yeah. You needed to draw it out. Yeah. Also, the face melting is so cool. And they put it's so much cool. time into that. Like just building all of those like wax faces just to like sit there with a propane heater and just like let it melt for like hours. Yeah, so, so it was Chris Wallace who who also actually invented a new kind of wax material, like a, a 
type of like dental paste or something like that. Right. Which was like, that's, they built a, a, a model of Tote's head and then they built layers underneath it of all this different stuff that can melt and melt in different ways and with different viscosities. And they put like string in between the layers. So it looked like veins and muscles and stuff like that. And then they just sat there for what, what did it take? Like 10, 11 minutes, something like that to just blast this thing with heat until it all melted and then they speed ramped it up to where it happens in you know seconds. Seconds. But, yeah. yeah. Spielberg's favorite shot in the movie. In a movie that has so many amazing shots, that's his favorite one. And rightfully so, because yeah. it's, you know, there's also the great sort of kind of real world context to that scene where, where nobody on set knew what was like, going to happen. Like they yeah. shot all of that stuff going like, yeah, it's scary. Be scared. And like, that was it. They didn't know really anything else about how it was going to look until it was done. Like until they shot the VFX plates and stuff like that. And even the VFX, plate, like the sky opening up that cloud that kind of bubbles open at the top. That's all oils in like a tank, right? Yeah. And it was an accident too, because somebody stepped on a hose, they stepped on a hose and it backed up and then squirted a bunch all at once. And that's what caused the, the bubble to kind of open. And Richard Edlund has this great quote. I think it was a quote in our, our piece, too. Where he was just like, you know, I saw that happen. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah there it is. <laughs> just, which is another another one of those things about this era of filmmaking of just like there's so much talent and so much preparation that goes into all of this stuff because you have to get it in camera. Right. And then there's the talent and the confidence to set out to do that thing. But then there's also like the self-awareness and the wherewithal to recognize a happy accident you know, when it happens, because like I got, I got a buddy of mine. He made this joke a, a long time ago that I, I think about all the time. He was joking. He's like, filmmaking is against God, <laughs> which is like all of this effort and all of the, you know, all of the lighting and all of the editing and all of the, everything that goes in the giant massive crews that you had, the sets you have to build to make something that just looks natural is, is like an affront to the universe in, in a lot of ways. So like, if you can't, like wholeheartedly embrace those happy accidents. Like when something goes wrong and it actually turns out to be in your favor, like then you're doing it wrong, you know? And so that's, I feel like you look at Jaws with the shark, you look at this movie, you look at Harrison Ford's diarrhea, giving us one of the most iconic scenes of all time. Like that's what this era of filmmaking to me is, is about. It's about a, a bunch of genuinely brilliant people getting lucky on top of everything else, you know? And, and it's so yeah. much fun when that stuff happens. Also, like not for nothing, they're also not getting like blank checks either, right? Like right. you look at you look at today's Indiana Jones, and that movie costs so much money. So it's they can't it costs so much money that they can't afford to take any risks. And right. that was the exact problem with that film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, the um because meanwhile Spielberg needed this to be on budget. Like that's the thing that watching this movie and seeing because there's there's some some spots where it's like well that that take was a little wooden you know like there's some stuff where some of the action some of the fight choreography is like very posed you know like especially the the shot that i'm thinking of in particular is when the he jumps out of the way of the sword and the bad guy stabs another Mm -hmm. bad guy and then the next cut he's pulling lemons out from behind him which is funny Um, but it's very staged and very, and could have, could have been much, I, I, there, there's a version of that. That's a little, a little smoother. Um, but we don't have time. 
we did it go and also to the wrath <laughs> of god sequence like he spent a whole day setting up the blocking of it and he blew a whole day and then they couldn't afford to so they could only shoot the wide shots like they only had time to shoot the wide shots on set of that whole wrath of god sequence and all the close-ups they had to do an ilm like months later because he ran out of time and he couldn't bring this movie in over budget well yeah just i have to, think to wonder Spielberg how much it, yeah. under pressure of just like i might not get to make another movie if i fuck this up like that's not a version of steven spielberg that we're accustomed to seeing or that we even think about existing in the first place right but that's, it was, that's that, what that was, it was on indiana jones which that is that was the last time that existed to think about. too yeah it hasn't made <laughs> yeah. sense but yeah. <laughs> well also i would like to know that this actually I, I always forget that it doesn't end exactly after the wrath of god scene but it ends with the u.s government getting hands on the ark uh which is a really interesting choice because that doesn't feel like a happy ending to me it feels like really Indy should have been against any government body having the arc, but you know. Well, that was the plan, right? Like, yeah. you know, the museum gets it after we're, after we're done. And yeah, yes, true. of course. Um, but I think, I mean, again, and you know, to just crate it up and wheel it off into that warehouse, that incredible matte painting of a warehouse um, is, is such a fun and fitting ending for, for the whole thing. Yeah. And, and, it, and it actually makes it feel real safe too that we don't have to worry about that because like it like it's such a great matte painting that like even the government doesn't know what it has yes yeah mm -hmm. and but they know they know well enough to put it away forever yeah, like it's it's, it's gone it's, it's like awesome. misfiling something in a uh you know it's yeah. like if you if, you know such a great it's, scene it's also been a lot of good memes made with that scene recently mm -hmm. <laughs> That's yep. true. Um, we only briefly mentioned the uh, it's not it's not the years, it's the mileage uh, mm. line. But my favorite, I would say that's my favorite line in the movie. It's not the years, it's the mileage. Yep, that's a good one. Um, I, oh no, I, I, it's, it's second place to, to my favorite line in the movie, which is, I don't know. I'm making all this up as I go. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Yeah. That's, that's also probably, a good one. That, that's, also a good one. that's so, both of those lines are so indie, you know, they're like mm -hmm. that. That's, you don't need much more information about who he is at that point. Um, but it's, uh, that's such a. <laughs> Even just solid going, like I'm gonna get on that truck and get to the thing. But how? I don't know. <laughs> it's great. It's also such a wonderful little screenplay hack too. It's like, what else are you gonna say at this point? Like, I'm not gonna talk about how you know. Um, <laughs> anyway. Speaking of solid, there's one line after we think Marion's dead, where uh, Indy's like, "Well, Marion died," and he says something along the lines of like. Well, yeah, you move on. <laughs> like, I she know. died like but life 30 goes minutes on. ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My God, savage. Those kids coming in to, to rescue him. That, that's another scene that we that we didn't talk to. I think I actually alluded to this scene in a previous episode uh, in terms of like camera blocking. Um, but the scene where he's he's talking to Belloc in that little bar uh, after Marion dies. And the whole thing is shot with Harrison Ford out of focus in the foreground in profile and then Belloc in the background 
in focus and their conversation happens. There's no focus pulling or anything like that. It's, it's all on Belloc and, and, and Harrison Ford is, is sort of in the foreground, kind of obscured. Um, but it's all one long take for the most part. It, it cuts finally at the end of it, I think, when it cuts back around to, to Harrison Ford. But like that staging where we're just over a shoulder and we just linger on that shot throughout the conversation is just there's something really I don't know how I feel about it. Is there's something that's that's really um uncomfortable about that scene and like it it kind of I don't know, it's a great scene. I love I love the way that it that it works. Um but just there's a slowness to it because like I it's like they're leaving air for the edit in between their lines like the cues are not tight at all between the lines and uh anyway, it's just a fun way to watch a conversation that you don't get a whole lot. Yeah. And I can't remember what movie we were talking about when I brought this scene up, but I think about this scene all the time. Anytime I see anything like that, where it's like one person's out of focus, but in profile, and then the other person is the focus of the, of the, the shot. But I mean, it's, it's not entirely uncommon. For that framing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to movie lists. Shall we? Is there any, yeah. any other, again, like throw a dart at, this movie and we can talk for an hour about whatever we hit. Cause it's, it's so cool. But, um, I've mentioned a couple of art of the scenes that we've done. Uh, we did one on the Boulder scene. Obviously that was like eight years ago or something like that. We did, uh, the one Cal did last year on the face melting, the wrath of God sequence. Yeah. Was a run- you- Go on. Sorry. No, we did, uh, we did things you didn't know about Indiana Jones, a couple of homemade movies kind of things. Um, it is on top 10 character introductions of all time. As it should uh, be. Runner up. On- Indiana Jones is a, uh, one of the top 10 heroes, um, which I th- I'm not sure if he made the update or not. I think he was on the original top 10 heroes. And then he I don't got think he, cut, he got bumped. I think he got bumped. Well, because I, I rearranged the, I mean, you know how it is. The categories. Like, yeah, I, I rearranged some of the categories and he, I don't think he had quite the same home that he used to. Or I might have done one of those things where I'm like, I mean, the obvious choice is Indiana Jones, but instead I'm picking this more obscure one. Um, uh, there He showed up on Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark showed up on top 10 hyper specific subgenres, which was actually my personal top 10. When we did when we got to our 100th episode, Billy and I both did our personal top 10s um, and it showed up on mine because when I was a kid, I saw Jaws and I loved sharks and I wanted to be an oceanologist, oceanologist, sharkologist. Neither of those are real words. Then I Marine saw biologist. Then I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and I wanted to be an archaeologist. Then I saw Jurassic Park and I wanted to be a paleontologist. Then I discovered the same guy made all three of those movies. And that's what made me want to get into movies um, was that sort of realization that it was like, oh, wow, look at that. So all three of those movies are tied for some of my favorites of all time. Um, uh, Indy's Whip was on top 10 movie props of all time. And then it's got it's gotten honorable mentions in screenplays, action movies, at least. There's bound to be more honorable mentions. Point is, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a well-covered film on on Cinefix. Did, did we, have we missed anything? Is there anything that honorable needs to show in, up on? It was an honorable mention in the body horror section of practical effects. Yep. Oh, because the, the face melting? melting got yeah. a shout out. Yeah. Do we have a best score list? We have, you know, honestly. Uh, 
probably not be a tough one we've danced around some some of the musical ones we've done like top 10 musical moments we've done soundtracks it's a, it's tough to do those on youtube, on YouTube. i was just gonna uh, say yeah. thanks youtube and your content uh, id yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 it's it's tough to do those and, and didn't think about that they're still monetizable um but uh scores i don't think we've done one that was act that was just straight up scores we've done we've done several musical uh uh episodes i could be misremembering that though um yeah i just i just feel like even in the in the grand scheme of john williams they're it's just top tier music cues yeah we should do one we should do one that's just composers yeah that's honestly. a good idea there's there's enough uh, i mean there's john williams away with and, that. and then there's everybody else yeah i'm only saying that because john williams would be his own category <laughs> yeah um, we could just do no, a john sorry, williams list honestly we did do film scores Oh, we did do film scores. So let me see, if to see I how you guys did it. See, Empire Strikes Back is the John Williams pick on that. It looks like I'm not mad about it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, probably room for more. Did we do it, though? Have we have we done justice to Raiders of the Lost Ark where movie lists are concerned? I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, like, do we have we ever done advent? Do we have a best adventure movie, or do we not go that generic? Well, it was the pick for in action movies, or it was it, that's where it got its honorable mention was in the action yeah. adventure section of action movies. Um, I don't know that we could blow out adventure into enough subgenres to do a proper movie list. We probably we might be able to. Uh, but you know that's that's where it was in our action movie uh, lists. I'm just glad it was on character intros because again, this one has well, yeah. two very good ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's I mean, we only dealt with the first one, um, but mm -hmm. Marion's was like I agree. I think it's just as just as good as as his. Yeah. Um, well, we can move on to Torf then because I, I feel like the all the the clear movie lists are well covered. Um, let's move on to some things you didn't know. And Alex, do you have some torf for us? Some true or false? Believe it or not, I feel like there are some fun facts that we haven't uh, discussed yet. So let's move on okay. to those. I've, I've got right. a few extra. You want to take turns? We'll, we'll alternate. Yeah, let's take turns. Or should I just I, wait until you're done and then see if I'm stepping on your toes? Let's do that. Let's do that. Because okay. I feel like also for as much as you know about this movie, you'll probably know all of these. But, you know, we'll see. See if well, me I've and Tyos. So I've, only, I've only got oh I've got four. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. True or false. Uh Danny DeVito was originally cast to play Sala, but he had to drop out due to conflicts with taxi. True or false. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say false. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this is a Tayo false. This is a Tayo Alex half falsey. I don't know that he was officially cast. I know he was the first choice. Well, Tyo and so I are I'll officially with, in I'll your head. I'll go. <laughs> is, <laughs> it, is it that half false? Because he was the, he no, was the pick. It was going to be Tom Selleck and Danny DeVito for for a hot minute, but I don't know that they they both had contractual obligations that kept them out of it. So TV kept them out of the out of yep. the big picture. Taxi. It was it was Magnum PI and Taxi that, <laughs> taxi, that taxi. kept us from a Taxi rips. Yeah, honestly, Danny DeVito sticking around for Taxi. I think we're all better off for it. Well, it's true. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, he was originally written as a Sam Jaffe or a Gunga Dean type, almost a small character from the Star Wars cantina. Um, he initially offered the role to DeVito, but he had to uh, drop out yeah. due to a scheduling conflict with Taxi. Uh, I think we're all better for it. I totally see the idea of casting DeVito. Like, I see it and I get it, but it's not as good. It would have been I fine. I can't see, like... Like New Jersey Danny DeVito as a Nazi. <laughs> no, as as Sala. 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 He was going to be Sala. Uh, he was going to be Sala. Okay. Yeah, yeah, which I get. Oh, did you think he was going to be Belloc? <laughs> yeah. be really oh, no, no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, Sala, I, I do get. Like, I kind of understand this inclination to kind of go for this, like, it's Almost a choice. Kind of, yeah. 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 It, it would have been a different, it would have been a different version than like the very regal John Reese Davies. But, um, I, like, I see the choice and it would have been different right. and like, I'm glad that it sense. didn't work out. Yeah. 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 And as Tayo notes, uh, Reese Davies is over a foot taller than DeVito. So very physically, very different. Um, all right. Yeah. So that one, was which is true. funny that he's a dwarf in Lord of the Rings and shorter <laughs> than everybody else. Even <laughs> yeah. though he was actually, he's like six, five or something like that. That is a fun bit of irony. Um, okay, true or false? At age 15, Michael Bay worked on Raiders and thought it would quote unquote suck. Ooh. <laughs> I think true that 15 year old Michael Bay would have thought that. Um, um, wasn't Michael Bay? I remember, I remember there's somebody that was a director that worked in like the press for Lucasfilm and was just like taking oh. calls. I'm going to go false just because I think you're leaning yeah. true, Cal. Yeah, I'm going to lean true. I, I have no, no idea on this one, so I'm, I'm guessing go false. Uh, it is true, and I kind of love that it's true. Um, he yeah. said in an interview with EW, you know, when I was 15, I worked at Lucasfilm. He was an intern, and I filed your Raiders of the Lost Ark storyboards. I saw the entire movie in storyboard board form, and I honestly thought it was going to suck. <laughs> Thank you, I'd, Michael Bay. But it did help him realize that he wanted to get into movies. He said, when I went to Gauman's Chinese Theater with my parents and saw it, I went, oh, my God, I've got to do this. I don't know. He's always been nice to me. So. <laughs> well, yeah, he gave him goddamn Transformers. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> I do like that Michael Bay was like, oh, man, this is going to blow. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. True or false? Uh, during the scene where Indiana threatens the Nazis with a Ponterwaust, which that's like the kind of tube thing, um, actor Paul Freeman swallows a swallows a fly. True or false? We don't talk much about those things. True. Yeah, sure. I, it, it disappears right there on camera. It's crawling along his face and then goes straight into his mouth. All right, that's actually false. Uh, no, it looks like it. He did, it looks significantly like he swallowed it. Uh, no, contrary to popular belief, he did not swallow it. Uh, Freeman explained in an interview years later that the fly flew off at, at about the instant, instant he uttered the word bad, but Spielberg noticed it and decided it would be funny to cut out a few frames so the fly would not be seen flying away. This made it look as though Freeman ate it and he found the edit highly amusing. So you were meant to wow. think he swallowed it, to be fair. That, well, and that's another thing that, that just shows what Spielberg's priorities were on this film, right? <laughs> like that he's willing to like, I don't know, it'd be funny if he looks like he swallows it. Let's just, let's just leave it. No, but it's funny because like I, that even struck me watching it too. Because I also, before Tayo 
pulled these facts together, I was like, oh yeah, he totally just swallowed that fly. <laughs> no, it, it works. Yeah, no, the flies just are here yeah. and then it's gone. And then, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he just doesn't care. He's that focused. Yeah. All right. One last of my TORFs, and then we'll move on to your TORFs, uh, Clint. Uh, in an interview with GQ, Harrison Ford described seeing Indiana Jones's costume as the moment he knew the film was for him. True or false? Ooh. Uh, I'll go true on that. Yeah, I think well, I think also true. False. Didn't like uh, it. So he had questions. Uh, so he said that he had, he. His quote was, my questions about it were many. Why am I wearing a leather jacket in the jungle? Isn't it hot here? Why am I carrying a whip? What (laughs) am I going to do with an effing whip? I'm going to whip people. Uh, It was explained to Ford by Lucas and Spielberg that the outfit was an evocation of a time and reflection of movies past. That was all Ford needed to hear. So he didn't like the costume at first. That feels like that very much feels like Harrison Ford being like, what is this? What, <laughs> what am I going to do with a freaking whip? Yeah. <laughs> like, why am I walking next to this walking carpet? The leather jacket in the jungle is a good one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't All into right, it. I first. got a couple. Here's, here's right. a fun one. Uh, Torf. Uh, the sound of the boulder rolling in the opening sequence was actually the sound of the tires of Ben Burt's Honda Civic driving across the rough shoulder of the PCH. Say that one more time. The sound of the boulder rolling in the opening sequence was actually the sound of Ben Burt's Honda Civic tires rolling across a shoulder, the shoulder of the PCH. Okay, I feel- I'm gonna go- The I'm Pacific go with, Coast Highway, I'm sorry. I'm gonna for, go with true. I do know that the closing of the arc was his toilet. <laughs> I didn't know that, that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> So, some of them got got reused from Star Wars too. There was yeah. some like uh, Ben Burt. We haven't talked about Ben Burt sound designing this film at all. But I mean, that guy's Mona Lisa is like the Star Wars stuff. He's yeah, the sound yeah. of a lightsaber, the Tie Fighter, all those things. This is all mm-hmm. just like you know more naturalistic than Galaxy Far. So far was away. it was it his the times I'm, I'm, of his I'm, Honda Civic? I'm gonna go with true. Yes, yeah. Unless you're going to tell okay, me now, it was actually, a, it was this Ford Galaxy. Well, that's why, like, oh, it's tuffing it. on the other side. Or it wasn't on the PCH, right? but it was like on the side streets, man. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's no. tuffing on the other side. Um, gosh, but what if it, I'm trying to think of exactly how it sounds. What if it's not even a car? I'm going to go, I'll, I'll go, I'll go true. It's true. Uh, apparently he was, they were rolling like rocks down actual cliffs in like the Santa Monica Canyon or something like that. He was driving home and as he pulled onto the PCH, he was like, oh, wait, there it is. Sound- That's convenient. Also, the sequence, this is a bonus bonus thing you didn't know. Uh, the sequence was more or less lifted straight from a Scrooge McDuck comic book. Uh, called <laughs> the seven cities of Cibola that George Lucas really liked. So the boulder and everything, even the, the idol looks kind of like the idol from them. But um, so we've talked about everybody getting food poisoning on set. Um, mm-hmm. So the turf with that, in addition to it giving us the great Indian swordsman shooting scene, um, the food poisoning combined with the high temperatures in Tunisia, there was a moment on set where John Rhys-Davies just straight up shit his pants in front of everybody. Oh, I actually, I, I, that's true. Yeah. 
I can confirm that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> I was it's just there. a really just a, I, was, I saw it happen. It's just a really unfortunate moment. Apparently, it happened in a scene that didn't even make the the movie. It was a, a deleted scene. Um, they were filming, and he just he just doubled over and shot himself, mm-hmm. which is just how it was shooting while sick <laughs> in the desert. That's like uh, so much one. Of a shoot sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just miserable. Right? Everyone's sick and stinky. It's terrible and yeah. hot. Sick and stinky is the worst way to be. Um, <laughs> so, last one. The actor who voiced the monkey, the Nazi monkey, went on to become the third highest-grossing actor of all time. True or false? I feel like I'm supposed to say false because that sounds really outlandish, but voice actors, I'm going to say false. The, that's, the voice actor? The actor who did the monkey sounds, the monkey voice of the Nazi monkey would go on to become the third highest grossing actor of all time. Like actor, not voice actor. Actor. True. Let's go with true. I'm going to go false. You're still, you're still going with false? It's true. Mm-hmm. What? It's, that's crazy. The same actor voiced Abu in Aladdin, voiced Megatron. It's Frank Welker, Scooby Doo. Oh! And if you total, if you total everything, cameos, voiceover, like there's the one, there's the one layer of like the top grossing actors of all time, and it's just everybody that was in Endgame at this point. But then, <laughs> if you total up everything from voiceover to cameos to like. Uh, uncredited work and things like that. Frank Welker is the third highest grossing actor of all time because he, he did well, Megatron better. in the Transformers movies. He's done Scooby-Doo forever. He did Abu and Aladdin. He, he was in Raiders. Well, like, like you said, like you've got to respect that because it's it's kind of like uh, like you just get one big paycheck from Endgame. But no, he worked for that. I like that he's he's yeah he's, he's got, got that much. he's got seven hundred credits or something. It's like yeah. a volume play for him. Good but. for Frank. Yeah. Way to go, Frank. Yeah. Um, that monkey, the third highest grossing actor of all time. Let's move on to <laughs> MVP. Who's your really MVP in this fact. movie? Harrison Ford, without question. Harrison Ford? Yeah. We all oh, might have I, different I, ones. I won't argue too much with Harrison Ford, but I, I wouldn't say without question. I got to go with Spielberg. Really? I, yeah. I'm going to go John Williams. Whoa. Wow. Have we, we ever have had different three ones. different answers? I don't think so. Okay. Like this is another this is like another notch in the belt of like Steel, Spielberg greats, but this is this is the moment that like Harrison Ford managed to transcend Star Wars and become like Harrison Ford like a yeah, he wasn't on celebrity. solo anymore. Yeah, yeah he wasn't yeah. on solo anymore. He could do anything now. Right. No, I, I don't disagree with that at all for Harrison Ford's career. I think for this movie in particular, like Spielberg I think I mentioned it earlier with, I think with John Williams winning Academy Awards, like Spielberg, if it's a Spielberg movie, there's like, he's the default MVP unless somebody really jumps up and takes it from him, you know? But I do think that again, like the position that Spielberg was in to start with, with this movie that like he, he decided he's like, I'm going to make this a lean on budget on time movie. Um, so he was, he kind of gave himself that limitation. Um, I think also the way that he turned things over, like the, the stack of storyboard temp storyboards that he just handed Richard Edlund to say, like, you got to make something good out of this. 
And like the, there's a, I keep, I keep talking about this era of filmmaking being like a combination of like talent and ingenuity along with like dumb luck. Like the fact that there's, there's, there's something too surrounding himself with really talented people and trusting them and like cobbling all of that together to make an incredible movie. Like it's, I, this one, I wouldn't give Spielberg that kind of credit for many other of his movies, honestly. Like, but this one feels like, this one feels like he really tied it all together. To, I just don't, to I just don't think. Go Wait, on, no, sorry. go ahead. I was just going to say, I can't imagine anybody else ever being in the Like if it had been Tom Selleck? Yeah. We wouldn't be talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark? Might not, no. Yeah. Uh, to my point, yeah. I, you know, thinking about what this movie wouldn't work without, um, to me, the score is, it does so much of the heavy lifting, like just kind of tell it, like being cartoonish when it needs to be, serious when it needs to be, this very, very specific themes for each and every character and moment. I just can't imagine this movie without the John Williams score. The fact that my eight-year-old knows that's a bad guy. Exactly. That's, that's all John Williams. Yeah. Wow. A standoff. Uh, no, but Cinematic honestly, standoff. I'm giving it to whoever was pulling focus in that, uh, that street fight scene. That's I'm giving it to Frank really Welker, honestly. Give it to Frank Welker. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's no way we're gonna we're gonna land on one of those. I think they're all tied, frankly, because I, I get your point, Cal. Like, I you, like this isn't the the same movie with a different indie. Listen, I, no. I respect yeah. I respect it. I respect that it takes a village kind of attitude. But at the end of the day, like Harrison Ford couldn't rely on anybody else to figure out Indiana Jones. Like, yep. Yeah, I also honestly, do appreciate you that you might have got yeah. me. I it's also I think it's the most fun that Harrison fa- has. Like I, I love yeah. this role for for him. Yeah. Yeah, I remember years ago okay. somebody asked him if he would ever be Han Solo again and he was like, "Nah." And he's like, "What about Indiana Jones?" He's like, "In a heartbeat." <laughs> like <laughs> he, ended, he ended up playing Indiana J- or Han Solo two more times after that. that <laughs> yeah, no, he he ended up cashing a lot more checks since he, <laughs> since he said that. I I think this was in like, you know, 1998 when somebody asked him that but not the man i knew 10 years ago it's not the years it's the mileage we've gone way over but we got we always have time for this last segment calibro who is who is nicholas cage playing in a raiders of the lost ark movie who well where are you swapping him in well, let's be, I mean, he already played an Indiana Jones-esque character in National Treasure, and let's just call that far inferior to the OG Indiana Jones. I, I don't I'm know. a National Treasure defender, but yeah, no, it's not in the same conversation. No, no. Uh, I, 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 I want to I, I see him be a deranged Balak. You know, I, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think how Nicolas Cage would contribute to this role is a good heel turn. Yeah, I, I had I had Belloc or or Todd. Todd like is who I had. One of those They're all guys. thinking around the same lines. Yeah. 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 Just Belloc let, is interesting let those though. villains. Yeah. yeah, that's I I like that Belloc is is kind of a collect like collected. Like he's a yeah, he's kind yeah. of a, a cool energy that I think if if you turn I mean Cage can have that for sure but like if we're thinking about turning Nicolas Cage loose on one of these roles like I don't think we would get that but like him as taught like who is also who's already a cartoon as we've discussed I think would be additionally weird and creepy and memorable 
Yeah, I don't know. I think he's too handsome. You know, Cage he's is too handsome for tot. Yeah, because like he's like the gross repug. He's like the gross repugnant Nazi. You know, like yeah. a little makeup will take care of that, though. Exactly. Like Nick Cage is. Yeah, he's a handsome dude, but he's been unhandsome before. Yeah, but I mean, he's been I, not handsome. I just, <laughs> I just think the same that movie actually. I just think the ba- I think the Balak part of it, he could just bring a little bit more of a, like a distur- like a more disturbed and unhinged thing to Balak, and have yeah. like that like charm and class, but be a little. This guy, there's something up with this dude, you know. Yeah. Just make it a little more fuzzy. Can't quite put. Your yeah, I think on. I think that tips the hand that blurs the line between him and the Nazis a little a little too much. Yeah. I think. Um, but Todd, for sure. Yeah. Is that who you I were going just, with, Alex? Yeah. I, like, sometimes with this segment, I struggle, like, a little bit in, in thinking, like, is it actually better with Cage? I think he would make a great Todd. I think this, like, yeah. not that Ronald Lacey didn't do a great job, but I think it would be so cartoonish and fun just to see him, like, go nuts with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it would have been a blast. That's who I'm yeah. going with. Yeah. You're sticking with Belloc? I don't hate it. Agreed. Like, I think Agreed it's an it. interesting choice. Agree to disagree. Because I okay. think like I think Belloc is like a real good caster Troy kinda kinda role that I don't <laughs> like I don't you know like like his caster Troy on the plane in the beginning of of face off is I think like where his Belloc would come from. And I just yeah. think that and I just think that, that is more of a Belloc than it is a top. I can't see Belloc saying, if I were to let you suck my tongue. Like that's really? a different Belloc that I don't want to be a part of. Like I, I like where Belloc's at. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of where I don't know if he would be better than Paul Freeman. That's kind of the question I bring myself to. And I, I don't think he would be. I think Freeman did a great job. He's a great Belloc. So you think Paul Freeman is a better Belloc than. Uh, than Castro? No. Troy? Yes. Than, than, than Ronald <laughs> Lacey <laughs> is of top. Mm. Uh, I think Ronald Lacey's a great tot. I just think Nick Cage but, could do it as well. Because like the whole point here is that we have to shoehorn Nick Cage in here somewhere. So then, think, that become, that, then that becomes the argument of you think that. You know what? Here's what I think. I think we're losing more by losing Paul Freeman as Bellic. Yeah. That's I'll say it in a, different, in a different but equally political way. Uh, I think the energy <laughs> that Ronald Lacey gives us as tot is more replaceable than what we get out of Paul Friedman. Okay. Paul Friedman. I agree. I, 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 think, I, think, I think Paul Friedman is very specifically Belloc and Ronald Lacey is very specifically scary guy, which I think we can get a different type of scary guy and still, and, and not miss a beat. Whereas a different type of Belloc changes this movie dramatically. Mm-hmm. That's my, you're, that's my you're sticking cents. with Belloc, Cal. I'm, I'm with it. I think, I think, okay. I think, I think we could creep them up a little bit. I don't think it's, I, I think it's an, I think it's a different movie, but I don't think it's a bad one. See, I think, like, it's, I, I think it, it's not bad, but I think it's worse. I don't think it's better. Yeah, it's That's worse. Fine. I agree. Agree to disagree. <laughs> Whereas him is taught there's, is listen, as good or better. <laughs> there's plenty of room between Raiders of the Lost Ark and bad, you know, yeah. and like it's, so it, it'll exist in there somewhere, but, um, all right, where is it? Where is it on your list, guys? It's not on mine. Sorry to say, it's not on your list. No, no. Like I said, it, it not on yours either. Not, I went. I had I had room on my list for one Indiana Jones film, and I went Last Crusade. 
Okay. So you, you and your, your rules about yeah. one of each. Yeah. I mean, it was, listen, the same, it was the same deal with Cronenberg. It was. I love, I, is, is Raiders of the Lost Ark a better film? Probably. But I just have then a Last real, Crusade. Yeah. But I just have a real soft spot for The Last Crusade. So, okay. The Last Cal Crusade. Is worth, a, I'm, I'm, I don't think Last Crusade is on my list, actually. Uh, but I do prefer Last Crusade as a personal preference. I so just you're, think it has you're a com- stronger emotional core. You're completely indie-less on your list. I think I'm indie. Yeah, I'm indie-less. It's, it's you know not indie-less? a frit. Did you put Crystal Skull on your list? <laughs> what if I did? That's the one. <laughs> I would start. You and Dan are going to get no thanks at the end of every episode if you put Crystal. The funny thing is, like, for I will actually, I actually kind of enjoy Temple of Doom, which no one else does, but it entertains me. But like, I'll defend yeah. that a little bit. But no, no indie on my list. No indie on your list. Well, no. I, I, I'm told that Dan didn't have it on his list either. So this is just a solo Clint joint ending up on, uh, ending up on the list. Which means uh, it's real I, high on Clint's list. I, with yeah. zero shame whatsoever, have this at number two. All right. Whoa. That's it a big my second favorite movie of all time. According, oh, wait, according wait, to, wait, my, wait, to wait, my list. So wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second here. Yeah. Whoa, this okay. movie is technically worse than Independence Day. <laughs> no, no. Independence Day I had lower than this. Independence oh, Day wait, I had no, in, in the teens yeah. somewhere. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. No, this is number two. Number two. Number so two. Wait, Cal, wasn't Sunset Boulevard your number two? Is it, or is it your number one? No, it's not my number one. It might. It's in yeah. my top five. Let me let me look up. Because exactly. I remember it being very high up. I wonder if we have two twos yeah. now. Do we have two solo twos? And yeah. we, this is just us investigating Dan's algorithm. It's <laughs> yeah, not about the movie at all. Um, it's not about the movie at all. But where Sunset where Boulevard is, is my Sunset Boulevard is my number two. So yeah, we okay. have two twos. Yeah. So and then Sunset Boulevard ended up. Where did Sunset Boulevard end up on our list? Ooh, this is good this question. Is fun. Wait, um, yeah. What does that mean about the like? How does how does it get the edge? Oh, you know what. This is uh, with the benefit of a producer being in my ear and not yours. Uh, Sunset Boulevard was actually also on Dan's list, so it was ranked a little higher. So oh. it wasn't a solo number two. Uh, but this being a solo number two, do you have the envelope again, Cal? I do. It's not an envelope, though. It's this Uh-oh. huge box. <laughs> Excuse me. Don't want to bump the mic, Tyo. <laughs> oh, I did. I just did. I just bumped the mic. Okay, so here we go. Let's... You get a treasure chest and an actual Ark of the Covenant. more advanced with I don't have it. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, and it's ooh, on we got, the idol. We got the idol. Hey. Wait, this is so right. fun. I'm <laughs> the we got the idol. You find, yeah, the stuff you can find at the IGN office if you look. I mean, you know, you know the irony. You know the irony is, is this probably came from Amazon and was probably sitting in an exact warehouse <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> like the, yeah. where the Lost Ark is. Yeah. Right, hold on. Uh, uh, and Francis uh, McDormand had to had to go track it down for you. Uh, all right, so here we go. This idol, great, amazing. Ooh, it's even sealed with with with, Ooh. with, with oh. wax. Wax? My God. Now I am wondering if we just had all this stuff in the office. Tayo's great, but I don't see him going shopping for a All right. So if you yeah. guys had a guess, where is it? I think it's top 50. A two is a two strong. 
A two is strong, and if there's Even any one. any sense at all to Dan's algorithm, it ought to be no. it ought to be in the top fifty. But I'm, I'm going to go just because you went top fifty. I'm going to go just outside the top fifty, somewhere in the fifty to sixty range. Pr- pr- price is right. This high or closest without going over. Give me a number. Which one is over? Is closer to one over or no higher? higher so, the higher like, actual number. Yeah, I'm going to go, gonna go higher than forty. Oh, okay. I'm going to go 40. I'm going to say 40. Clint is right. This is the 65th. 65. 65. Number two on one of our lists gets you to number 65. 65. I don't know what that says. Not as strong as I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You get get docked lots of points for not showing up on, on lists, I guess. On Dan's list, I think. On Dan's. Dan just didn't have it on his, so he's like, whatever. This is way lower than Sunset Boulevard. Um, Well, guys, that's going to do it for us then. Uh, Thank you for talking about a movie that only I think is cool, I guess. Number two. Um, So, Cal, Alex, thanks for being here again. Thank you for everybody out there listening or watching. Thanks to our lead Torfologist, producer Tayo Yakin. Technical producer, Ryan Franzen, who is like our Richard Edlund and Jamie Parslow, who's like our Douglas Slocum, which we didn't even talk about Douglas Slocum that much. No, the, we didn't. The, the cinematography <laughs> and the shadows in this movie are incredible. And we didn't mention it a single time. Man, like the the way that the way that Douglas Slocum photographed the most iconic, like one of the most iconic silhouettes of all time. Right. Like a shadow of Indiana Jones on a wall. You recognize it immediately. And we didn't even talk about it once. But anyway, I'm shocked point we is, didn't. That's crazy. Jamie Parslow is our is our Douglas Slocum. Is is the point that I'm that I'm trying to make. And and Dan, who will like we he'll be sealed into the well of souls for a thousand years to see if that makes him in any way valuable. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to hear us without seeing us, uh, if you're into the whole audio only thing, we're on all the usual places that you find your podcasts. So track us down on the platform of your choosing. Also, one last bit of housekeeping before we get out of here. This is our last official episode of season one. So congrats, guys, for rounding hey, the whole did season. It. How about that? Oh, my God. I know. Talked about a lot so of we're going to take a... We talked about a bunch of movies. We're going to take a little break, uh, come back in the new year. Um, we've got another couple of two-handers, actually, uh, some not top 100s with just Cal and Alex coming up sort of in between seasons here. Uh, so be on the lookout for some not top 100s, uh, top 100s uh, before we come back for our second season. And whatever nonsense Dan has planned to, to inflict on us. This is getting more and more like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, as, except, as the movies, yeah. except the movies, except the movies are great. Are great. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what we're, what we're after. All right. Well, until season two, uh, we'll we'll see you then, guys. Stay safe. Be good, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy. But how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. 
Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.